so the second part of this evening's prayer, but it is also a prayer, is uh, called Lexio Divina, or divine reading. I guess you could uh, define it that way. This is a, a very ancient part of the tradition of the church. It's not a formal liturgy the way Vespers or the Mass are formal. It's just a way of prayer. And the best type of Lectio Divina actually is done by individuals just at home. Uh, there's no great uh, structure to it. It's just basically prayerfully reading the Word of God. That's the, the gist of it. And we can do it in different ways. It can, there are different traditions. In the monasteries of ancient times, they did it one way. And other, uh, St. Ignatius Loyola suggested a way of doing it. The Benedictine monks do another way. And it's just a great, rich tradition. Sometimes we study the Word of God. And I, I was sent by my bishop many years ago to Rome to spend altogether about five years uh, studying the sacred scriptures and uh, things like that. And that's important. We need to know because the Bible was written many years ago and far away, and so it's helpful to us to, to learn about it. And I always say God put our heads in so prominent a place in our bodies that I think he, he wants us to use them. So we should study. And sometimes we pray the Word of God as a group in the liturgy, uh, as, for example, we just did now with the Psalms at the Vespers, and as we do most importantly at every Mass when we have the readings. That's another way of reading. Sometimes we are, it's a good idea just to not to study or to pray the liturgy, but just to read the Bible from start to finish. Although I don't know whether that's always the best because people get discouraged around half, well, a third of the way into Genesis. They start hitting long lists and they give up. Uh, you know, and the, they start with a, a New Year's resolution to read a chapter a day and by January 20th or so they've given up. But it is good to read just sections of the Bible and maybe have a Bible reading plan. Or I would recommend... Uh, uh, just if, go to Mass every day if possible, but if not, get a little missalette and read the, the Mass readings. That's good. But in preparation for all of that, a wonderful way is not to study the Bible or to proclaim the Bible in church, but just to pray the Bible. And that's what Lectio Divina is. It's centered on the great words of the uh, Old Testament. Remember Samuel, the young boy, went, went to the temple and uh, he heard his name being called Samuel, Samuel. And he went to the old priest and said, were you calling me? He said, no, I wasn't calling you. And he went back and forth. Finally, he said, well, when you hear the voice, when you hear your name, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he did, of course, and he received his mission of serving God. So that's a good uh, policy, I think, for all of our prayers. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think most of the time in our prayers, we say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. <laughs> But uh, that's to get it backwards. That's just not the right way. But and especially in this Lexio Divina, this divine reading, as we hear the word of God, let it sink into our hearts. Let us let all those things drift away. Let's get rid of those things that block. But there's a great writer, Origen, said, there must be a pathway to our hearts that the Lord may enter in. And we can put barriers in that path. Our sins, our busyness, all of our self-absorption can put boulders on the pathway to our heart. So let us clear away those things, prepare a pathway to our heart so that God, as we hear his word, we savor it. We get marinated in the word of God. We chew over the word of God. We don't race through it. We don't speed read it. Anything you've ever learned in a speed reading course, forget it. For this, it may be good for reading some things, but 
not for this. So we just let it enter in and say, it's prayer. It's not a, a lesson, but it's a prayer. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so what I have been doing for the last 15 or more years, really, uh, is to lead a kind of a lecture divine in public, where I sort of do publicly with a whole church full of people what is a good idea to do just privately and do your own way. You don't have to follow this method. Just do it another way if you want. Uh, but just basically pray the word of God. So this is what we will do. Uh, we have a passage of scripture. And the passage is found inside the book here. And it's actually, this is very strange. We're as deep into the Easter season as you can get. And we're having the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the denial of Peter denying the Lord and the, the trial of Jesus. The reason it's this is that I, I pick every year 10 passages of scripture because I do this lecture divina for 10 months. I don't do it in July and August. And, and so on the first, uh, I've done the Sermon on the Mount broken up into 10 pieces, about 15 to 20 verses each, roughly. I've done 10 Psalms. I've sometimes, one year I did 10 parables. Once I did the 10 commandments. Now, not just the, the words, but passages of scripture that relate to each of the commandments. And I'll have to think of next year doing something else. Because for the last three years, I've simply been going through the Gospel of Mark. The whole Gospel, section by section. It's the shortest Gospel. You can do this. And so we are now in uh, the third last 15 verse section of the Gospel of Mark. That's why this month, we're, even though we're in Easter, the reading for the Lecture Divina is very much the passion of our Lord. That's the reason for it. The structure of it is a suggestion. This is the way I do it, but you, know, you may want to do it something like this. You have reading, reflecting, being with the Lord, and then seeing how it can affect our life. Once when I was starting this years ago, I went, to, uh, I went over to Italy to uh, talk to somebody who knew something about this. And what he said was, what does this passage of scripture say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands? To know, to love, to serve. I remember a couple of years ago when I was in grade one, that was one of the questions of religion. Why did God make you? To know, to love, and serve him. So when we read any passage of scripture, just say, what does it say? After we read it slowly, say, what does it say to my head to know more about God? My heart to help me love Jesus more, to love the Lord, love our Heavenly Father. And what does it say practically? What should I do then with my hands? What's the practical thing? That's the thing to maybe think of as we're praying this. So we'll start with, there are basically three phases in this. First, the sign of the cross. And then just a little prayer time to slow down, to let go of all those things that block up the pathway to our hearts. And a prayer of the Lord to help us read. Then I will read through the whole passage. And as I read it slowly, just think of it. What does it say to my head, my heart, and my hands? Just try to put yourselves into the passage of Scripture. Be with St. Peter in the courtyard. Try to get a sense of it. Then I'll start, I'll read another little short section. And I'd read it again, maybe. A little quiet time. I'll throw in a few thoughts. But the main part is the quiet time when we're with the Lord. And then I'll read another passage. 
a little quiet time, a few thoughts, and then another one, and go right through it, section by section. And then I'll read the whole of it again, and then we'll say the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, sign of the cross, and that's it. It's very straightforward. So now let's enter into the prayer of Lexa Divina, and I suggest doing this every day, in your own way, wherever you wait, wherever you want, at home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us now let go of all those worries, those cares, those troubles that so fill up our hearts that we cannot listen to God or to other people. We're so absorbed in ourselves. Let's just let them go. Let's quiet down and ask God's forgiveness for the sins that are boulders on the pathway to our hearts so that he may forgive us and prepare a way that he may enter in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's maids came along. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked intently at him and said, you too were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. So he went out into the outer court. Then the cock crowed. And the maids saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Once again, he denied it. A little later, the bystanders said to Peter once more, surely you are one of them, for you too are a Galilean. He began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man about whom you are talking. But immediately, a cock crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice. You will deny me three times. He broke down and wept. As soon as morning came, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes, that is the whole Sanhedrin, held a council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? He said to him in reply, You say so. The chief priest accused him of many things. Again, Pilate questioned him, have you no answer? See how many things they accuse you of. But Jesus gave him no further answer. So the Pilate was amazed. And now on the occasion of the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner whom they requested. A man called Barabbas was then in prison along with the rebels who had committed murder in a rebellion. The crowd came forward and began to ask him to do for them what was a custom. And Pilate answered, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. And Pilate again said to them in reply, Then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? They only shouted the louder, 
crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and after he had Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the praetorium, and assembled the whole cohort. They clothed him in purple and weaving a crown of thorns placed it on him. They began to salute him with, Hail, King of the Jews! and kept striking his head with a reed and spitting upon him. They knelt before him in homage. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him out to crucify him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's maids came along. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked intently at him and said, you too were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. So he went out into the outer cohort, out to the outer court, and then the cock crowed. Here we see Peter who is so very much someone we can identify with in the scriptures. He's, um, he loves the Lord. He's actually there. He goes into some danger. And he was known. He had cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And he goes into the courtyard of the high priest. So that's quite courageous in a sense. There's goodness in Peter. There's goodness in each of us. Remember, there's, what's that they say? There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it ill behooves, it behooves the rest of us to be critical of people. You know? Well, this Peter, is, he, he stumbles along. There's a lot of good. The fact that he's there. And even after he's identified, he doesn't run away. He just goes a little further away. But he does go further away. He's cowardly. He's brave, but he's cowardly. He's brave to be there, but he, he shrinks away despite his good intentions. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is very weak. And he, he denies the Lord. I, you too were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Up, up in the court, just above, Jesus is, is being tried by Pilate. We see that in a moment. He's got soldiers all around him. And down in the courtyard, here's Peter, who doesn't have soldiers anywhere. He's, the maid is saying to him, you are with him. And that's enough to make him deny the Lord. How little it takes for each of us, doesn't it? Think of the times we have, perhaps in our good intentions like Peter, we've tried to do what is right, but just a little puff of wind will blow us off course. We should think of that and apply it to our own lives. Peter was below in the courtyard. Good for him. He was there. And one of the high priest's maids came along and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked intently at him and said, you too were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. So he went out into the outer court, and then the cock crowed. It's interesting, at the end, they, they, they're crying for him to, to prophesy. And uh, he had prophesied this. The Lord had said the cock would crow. And that's a reminder. So let's look at our own lives and think about this passage. What situations do we find ourselves in where perhaps we seek to do the right thing? We're there, at least, like Peter. 
We love the Lord like Peter. But the first little puff of wind, the first little criticism, we, we shrink back and we say, I do not know the man. I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. That's pretty forceful. He's afraid. Lord, help us to conquer our fears. And especially in this world, where we don't face what our brothers and sisters face elsewhere in the world, where they're being literally crucified again for Christ. Where in the Middle East, whole cities have had all the Christians expelled and driven into the desert by murderous people. You think of those, those holy sisters of Mother Teresa and their companions, brutally murdered. That's what they face as they die for Christ. Perhaps we should think when we're in the situation of this reading, what will we do to live for Christ? They didn't run away. They, they proclaimed their faith. And how little are the challenges we face? And how much like Peter are we? Not in any courage, although there's a bit of it being there. But immediately, I do not know or understand what you're talking about. So he runs a bit farther away than the cock crowed. Lord, help us to be faithful to you, even when it costs us so little. And how often, in so many different ways, do we deny you? The maid saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And once again, he denied it. A little later, the bystanders said to Peter once more, surely you are one of them, for you too are a Galilean. And he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man about whom you are talking. And immediately a cock crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The maid saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And once again, he denied it. How often we do not learn you would think perhaps after one denial, he might say, I must be more courageous now. Come in from that extra section, that place I've gone away. But no, he does it again. And again, a third time he does it. And people wonder, why do we go to confession more than just once? Well, here we are. You know, we keep, we're very weak. We're very frail. And if, you know, when we go to confession, we can only realize I've been confessing this sin, you know, for 50 years. And I'm struggling with it. I'm trying to do my best like Peter. He was trying to do his best, but he was making very slow progress. He was mainly going backwards. Perhaps when we go to confession and we realize I've, 
oh my, I've been struggling with this for so long and I just do it again and again, more than three times perhaps. At least Peter broke down and wept at number three. Maybe we can simply break down a bit and weep and say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Help me to be more faithful, more faithful to you, to deny you less through the way I live. Pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony, whatever it is. It's not the maid in the courtyard of the bystanders. There's so many other ways we can deny the Lord. And yet we know again and again he is, he is with us. But how true it is. Once we get into our sins, we get more ferociously into them. At first he says, I do not know or understand. Then he denied him again. And then he says, he began to curse and to swear. I do not know this man about whom you are talking. And he doesn't even have the courage to say the name. This man about whom you are talking. He will not, he cannot At least he has the shame not to be able to say the name of the man he is denying. Perhaps that's the hook of God's grace within his heart. That he realized, why can I not deny him by his name? And maybe that's when he began to realize that he needed to repent. But he got more deeply in. And even after that, He broke down and wept. And later on, we know in the Gospel of John, Jesus didn't say, I told you so. But three times he asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's the qualification. Do you love me? He didn't say, do you have a PhD in theology or whatever. He didn't say either, are you perfect? Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Are you perfect? If he said yes, that would be... That would be game over for Peter. But no, he said, do you love me? Isn't it amazing that this man, Peter, was being prepared to lead the church. And the Lord did not entrust the church to the beloved disciple who, as far as we know, never made a mistake. He didn't know what it was to fall flat in his face. He entrusted the church and authority and responsibility the keys of the kingdom to a man who denied him three times, who was himself so frail and so weak, and yet knew his own frailty and perhaps could be more compassionate for others. You know, when we confess our sins, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Maybe I can understand why people sin a first, a second, a third time, and more, because I do myself. Maybe we can become a bit more compassionate like Peter, more mercy as our Holy Father, Pope Francis, stresses. He always says, you know, the Holy Father always says, pray for me. Pray for me. And he himself experienced his great conversion moment when he was 17, when he went to confession. He describes the change in his life as he experienced that love. The Lord does not ask perfection but repentance will do. And so let's think of that as we hear these words. Think of how we so get deeper into our sin as he does. He cursed, he swore. He got deeper into it before he finally recognized his need for God's mercy. And then he broke down and wept. 
What is it in my own life, each one of us, where I've been like Peter, getting deeper and deeper? You know, they say when you're digging a hole, you're in a hole, don't keep digging. <laughs> well, he kept digging it deeper and deeper. How often do we do this? The first pope did it. It's kind of consoling to know that. But he got deep. But then the cock crowed. Something the Lord had prophesied. We need something to snap us out of that and say, what, what will it be, perhaps? Will it be, what is the cock that will crow in your life and mine? Will it be an experience of failure, perhaps? Will it be a disease? Will it be a book we read that Ignatius Loyola was all wrapped up in himself, but then he, was, he got injured in war and he could no longer be the great warrior he thought he wanted to be. And he was reading these books about the saints. And suddenly he says, my eye opened just a little. The cock crowed. And he recognized himself and God and what it meant. And he broke down and wept. And life began. In our own life, what is that? The maid saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And once again, he denied it. A little later, the bystanders said to Peter once more, surely you are one of them. You too are a Galilean. He began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man about whom you are talking. And immediately, a cock crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's think of our own lives and ask the Lord's grace that as we have stumbled as Peter has stumbled and dug the hole ever deeper, whatever it may be for each of us, that we may hear the cock crowing. And may break down and weep, and from those tears find our joy. As soon as morning came, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes, that is the whole Sanhedrin, held a council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? He said to him in reply, you say so. The chief priests accused him of many things. Again, Pilate questioned him, have you no answer? See how many things they accuse you of. But Jesus gave him no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. So there we see Jesus with, down in the courtyard we have Peter going through his own trial of a different kind. And by God's grace coming through it to become the great saint. But there, surrounded by enemies, the Sanhedrin, the Romans, surrounded, we see Jesus. All the power of this world and Pilate wouldn't be remembered these days, nor the emperor either, if they hadn't happened to be there at the time of Jesus. Their only importance in history of Pontius Pilate was he happened to be there. 
in the presence of his Lord and God, whom he did not recognize. How blind are the eyes of the people surrounding Jesus. They look, they look, and they do not see. Here is God Almighty in their midst, yet he does not look the way they had imagined God to look. They simply are blinded by jealousy, perhaps? What blinds us to other people? What blinds us to God? Why can we not see? How do we miss the many splendored things? Here is God in the midst of them, and they're so harsh and blind to who he is. They bound him. They led him away. They handed him over to Pilate. Why such hatred? How can we, each one of us, you know how often it is we get caught up in that ourselves. We shouldn't say, look at them doing that to Jesus. I always remember when I'm pointing at someone else, I got three fingers pointing back at myself. We should only learn from this that we might learn about ourselves and not blame Pilate or, well, look at the mirror and you'll see Pontius Pilate looking back. Look in the mirror and we'll see the Sanhedrin looking back. That's why we meditate upon the Holy Word of God, that we may learn. We may see ourselves more deeply and seeing ourselves more truly, we may see God more fully and not have the, the sins that block us and block our sight of God. May we see. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate questioned him. And he said to him, you say so. Jesus is not going to get into a big debate with Pilate. He says, you say so. Are you the king of the Jews? This was a a concern that he might be a political leader who was going to go against the emperor. And that's what, of course, his enemies used to get the Romans to have him crucified. But Jesus is serenely there. He has no physical earthly power. And we know that with snap of a finger, he could have obliterated them all. But he never acts that way. That's not the way God acts. God invites encourages. Remember the the young man that came up and Jesus invited him to come follow him and he, no, he had too many riches, he walked away. And Jesus didn't stop him and force him. He let him walk away as he lets us walk away. And he invites us, but he doesn't force us. He doesn't force Pilate or the chief priests. The chief priests accused him of many things. How often does each one of us have what we sometimes might call a censorious spirit, always accusing of many things. Believe me, that's a problem, isn't it? You know, how ferocious. And it occurs in gossip. I know our Holy Father is very strong on being against gossip. And that's very wise. Think of it. How we can, maybe we don't have someone, it's at least they have Jesus in front of them when they accuse him of many things. I think most of us do it when the person at at issue is not there. That's probably worse. They accuse him of many things. And Pilate questioned him, have you no answer? How many things they accuse you of? What a world. And yet Jesus gave him no further answer. It is what it is. 
He is who is. He is God in our midst. And we pray and hope that somewhere in the life of Pilate and those harsh accusers, that by God's grace, maybe the, the light went on. Maybe some kind of cock crowed for them too, we pray, we hope, we don't know. That they might accuse people a little less and be more welcoming and more attentive and to see more clearly God in their midst. Remember our Lord said, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you do to me. So we need to be able to recognize the face of Christ in people. And they couldn't even recognize the face of Christ in Christ. How blind we can be. And Pilate was amazed. That's the response to Jesus throughout the Gospels. Amazement. And how often do we, as we reflect upon Jesus, just we're so used to him. We see the crucifix on the wall so much that we do not know it's there. And we say the prayers so quickly, we are no longer amazed. I just gave a talk yesterday on an extraordinary person, G.K. Chesterton, the great G.K. Chesterton. Oh, we need his writings the way, you know, you have in airplanes, they say when the, the thing falls from the ceiling, a little oxygen mask, slap it on there, breathe deeply then give it to the person. <laughs> we need G.K. Chesterton because, um, for many reasons, because we're in a very crazy world. I mean, things are shifting, and all kinds of strange things happening. It's really insane, you know? And he's very sensible. But above the thing, a reason I bring him up is that he was always filled with wonder. He said, the world is not lacking in wonders, it's lacking in wonder, in amazement. Even Pilate, who was a pretty hard-hearted guy, was amazed at Jesus. So let's just reflect upon these words and see ourselves and say, what does it say to me, to my head, my heart, and my hands? As soon as morning came, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes, that is the whole Sanhedrin, held a council. And they bound Jesus, they led him away, they handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? He said to him in reply, you say so. The chief priest accused him of many things. Again, Pilate questioned him, have you no answer? See how many things they accuse you of. But Jesus gave him no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. What does this say to our own lives? Each one of us differently in our own hearts. Now, on the occasion of the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner whom they requested. A man called Barabbas was then in prison along with the rebels who had committed murder in a rebellion. The crowd came forward and began to ask him to do for them as he was accustomed. And Pilate answered, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. But Pilate again said to them in reply, Then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted out again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? They only shouted the louder, Crucify him. 
So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and after he had Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. So on the occasion of the feast, he used to release to them a prisoner whom they requested. And there we see Barabbas, who was a violent person involved in murder. And his friends had all come forward to get him out. They had a chance. And Pilate here seems to be amazed still. For all of his harshness and hardness of heart, he, he seems to realize that Jesus is innocent. And he tries in some indirect way to help him. So even Pilate, we see Peter, the great apostle, stumbling, and we see the hard-hearted prefect and procurator trying to, trying to do some good, perhaps, do what he could, a little bit maybe. Such is the effect of Jesus even on the hard heart of the Roman governor. And he tries to find a way, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that it was out of envy that chief priests had handed him over. That's interesting. He could read their hearts. He may have been pretty harsh himself, but he knew that envy. How often do you and I hand people over out of envy? He identifies, maybe correctly, why some people wanted, couldn't abide Jesus, wanted to get rid of him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas. They were indeed filled with envy and hatred. Don't we get that way ourselves? We, you know, it gets deeper again. It's going deep, just as Peter goes deeper and deeper into his denial. They go deeper and deeper. He gives them, Pilate gives them a chance to maybe back off. But they can't let it go. Envy is like that. Anger is like that too. And they're pretty angry. You know, anger, I think of all the sins, I don't know, of all the sins, never make a universal statement. Of all the sins. Uh, envy and anger, these sort of sour sins, these acid sins, these sins that eat inside, they're maybe the hardest. We get envy, it's hard to get it out of the heart. And anger too. And sometimes the worst thing about anger is that we might be right. You know, we, we may be angry at someone correctly. <laughs> they did something wrong. And so you can't say, but you're wrong. No, we're right. But that doesn't affect the other person, does it? If, our, if we, so we don't have much time in this world, you know, tick, 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 time's up. To we, what good does it do to be stewing in anger? It's not dealing with the situation. It's not changing the person who made us angry. It's just wrecking our lives, getting deeper and deeper. These envy, anger, these are sins that just sour us, and we really don't have time for that, do we, in this short life of ours? So just think of the, the chief priests, and again, look in the mirror and see them looking back out. Anger and envy. So Pilate said to them in reply, then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? 
And they go deeper. Crucify him, they say. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? He's trying to be reasonable. So Pilate is kind of virtuous here. He tries to help Jesus. He tries to be reasonable. They only shout louder, crucify him. So Pilate, who knew Jesus was innocent, who did a little bit to help him, but afraid of the crowd, he washed his hands. It doesn't say that here, but he washed his hands and released Barabbas to them. He caved, crumpled under the popular pressure. Think of in the scriptures, the different people who do that. You think of Herod and uh, you think of Salome. You think of, think of all the, think of our, well, think of our own lives, how often we do that. We know the right thing to do, but we just cave like Pilate. And so we need to learn from this. Let's be like Pilate in trying to do the right thing, which he was at the beginning. There's so much good in the worst of us. And we think of Peter. There's so much bad in the best of us that it'll behoove the rest of us to be critical of anyone. We've got to learn. So let's think about that and try to learn. How many times have we been like Pilate? How many times like the chief priests? How many times like the crowd? Become a mob, tearing people down. Think of it. Let's look in our own hearts. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the praetorium, and assembled the whole cohort. They clothed him in purple and weaving a crown of thorns, placed it on him. They began to salute him with, Hail, King of the Jews, and kept striking his head with a reed and spitting upon him. They knelt before him in homage. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him out to crucify him. This is probably the least painful experience of them all for the Lord Jesus. Although physically painful, scourging is immensely painful. And the mockery. But these are the Roman soldiers who truly do not know what they're doing. The chief priests, they knew. Pilate knew. Peter knew. Betrayed by his friends. And yet he is also betrayed, mocked by the world, physically attacked, because it was ferocious, the scourging. Some people never made it to crucifixion. The scourging itself would kill them. And the only restraint on that was they wanted to continue. But it's a mockery. And our Lord is mocked by the world that did not understand. And I think we, in so slight ways, such a slight imitation we have of Christ in this, we are, in this part of the world, not going to be scourged and crucified 
the way our brothers and sisters are all over the world. There has never been such persecution of Christians as now. That is the crucial thing that you will never see, rarely see in the media. But it's there. And it should put us to shame when our brothers and sisters are dying for Christ, if we won't even put up with a little mockery. I mean, that's what we get. Surely we won't cave under the pressure of the crowd like Pilate. And surely we'll think of the mockery and say, can we not take that? So we need to live our lives with integrity, repentant, not seeing Pilate and the chief priests and the soldiers in other people, but seeing them in ourselves, and then breaking down and weeping like Peter, which is the best thing he did. But we need to learn from this, about how we can walk the way of the cross here as we see in every church we have the way of the cross, as should we indeed, but we should walk the way of the cross ourselves, not only in church and in our own prayers, but in our life to be faithful to Christ and meditate deeply upon the meaning of the, the Holy Gospel for us, each one of us. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's maids came along and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked intently at him and said, you too were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. So he went out into the outer court. Then the cock crowed. The maid saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Once again, he denied it. A little later, the bystander said to Peter once more, surely you are one of them, for you too are a Galilean. He began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man about whom you are talking. And immediately, a cock crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down and wept. As soon as morning came, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, that is the whole Sanhedrin, held a council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? He said to him in reply, you say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Again, Pilate questioned him, have you no answer? See how many things they accuse you of. Jesus gave him no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now on the occasion of the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner whom they requested. A man called Barabbas was then in prison along with the rebels who had committed murder in a rebellion. The crowd came forward and began to ask him to do for them as he was accustomed. And Pilate answered, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. 
And Pilate said again to them in reply, then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted again, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? They only shouted the louder, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And after he'd had Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the praetorium, and assembled the whole cohort. They clothed him in purple and weaving a crown of thorns, placed it on him. They began to salute him with, Hail, King of the Jews! And kept striking his head with a reed and spitting upon him. They knelt before him in homage. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him out to crucify him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.